Good evening, everyone. No my how to my everyone's a bit quiet tonight. Good evening, everyone. Oh, hello. Everyone's awake. Everyone's awake. All right, here we go, Beverly. That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. A warm welcome to you all this evening and to those uh, watching online. It's uh, great to have you with us. We got into a new series, Encounter. Um, we were talking about the series uh, a little while ago, and it, it's something for us that uh, we thought, how are we going to do this series? And who's just jumping? Just choose 10 of the hardest scriptures we can find and talk about angels. Who's interested in angels in the room? <laughs> There's a few. You're all here for that reason. Um, did you know that throughout Scripture, there's over 270 mentions of, of either angels or angelic encounters? Did you know that? We're going to just cover probably 10 of those in our time, and we want to encourage you to sort of engage as much as possible. Um, it's about angels, angelic visitations, and their relevance to the wider biblical narrative, but also to our own lives. We want to engage with Scripture in a way that oh, maybe angels were just back there and they, they have no relevance to us now. That's a part of what we're trying to do here. There has been, throughout generations, I think, um, a real fascination and an inquisitiveness with angels. I mean, I've always thought about angels. I've always, you know, we, we have these pictures um, all, over, uh, all over the world that people have tried to gather the essence of what they think an angel is. And we have Michelangelo drawing us cherubs, little fat babies with wings. Or we have these, you know, dark, scary. How many of you are old enough to remember the movie The Dark Crystal? There's a few people online. I see waving their hand. There's a few here. That was a scary movie, but they like there was these big wings, sort of bird things. I mean, we have a concept in our mind of what an angel is and their purpose, and we hear throughout society all sorts of little um, little snippets from people. You know, um, well, angels are this. I've got my guardian angel watching over me. There's an angel walking with me. We have an understanding about angels, but I bet you very few of them have read these passages and really engage with what, what actually is this angel being. So I hope in the series is to take a look at a few of those encounters, both from the Old and the New Testament, uh, as a way of trying to demystify and bring a bit of understanding um, to their place in our journey of faith. And tonight we're going to look at a very familiar narrative uh, from Exodus 3. It's Moses and the burning bush. How many of you realized that that was an angelic encounter? No hands. <laughs> it was an angelic encounter. And he was out walking and tending his flock by Mount Horeb. And an angel of the Lord spoke to him from this burning bush. And we'll grab, we'll grab a hold of that real soon. But before we dive in, I wanted to speak to uh, something that I've spoken to before. Um, in our context of night service, where we read scripture or we engage with a particular topic with um, culturally conditioned eyes. That's why I talked about just before, you know, the paintings and our image and people's speech, how they talk about angels and how they look at angels actually can taint the way they actually engage with scripture around angelic encounters. A few years back, um, I was lucky enough to be there when someone was healed, a bona fide healing. This young girl, um, her leg grew. It was three to five centimeters. I mean, it was significant. Um, and, you know, she went to the doctor the next day, and um, the doctor sort of just went, oh, that's nice. 
and just basically put a line through her notes and just was like, well, you're healed, so you don't need to come see me anymore. It's like someone's leg grew three to five centimeters. Explain that to me, genius. You know, like you wanted to, you wanted to just grab a hold of them. But the, the, the problem is that they had in their mind, that they, they said, well, you know, science is a marvelous thing. I've been taught by science. Surely there's an explanation for it. Good on you. Have a nice life. I don't need to treat you anymore. That was literally the conversation that this family was um, putting back to me. It was just, there was no qualms in writing it off. Here's what I think happened. His knowledge of the kind of medical sciences actually created a culturally conditioned lens, which should have said, oh, well, there'll be some explanation for it, so all good. Yep, we've all experienced a little something like that in our, in our time. Um, they didn't understand what had happened. They just knew that there must be an explanation for it. I think that happens quite a bit when it comes to miracles and healing uh, in the Christian world. You see, that's a lens that tells you there must be some sort of explanation, but you can't move past it. We, we, we actually wrestle with it within ourselves. Um, we had the young, young adult guys around at our place on Monday, and we're wrestling with a couple of things, and we're talking about miracles as well, and, and we started getting into Trinitarian theology. Trinitarian theology, I was like, whoo! back that truck up. We uh, don't need to go down that rabbit hole uh, tonight. But the reality is we're fascinated by the subject and we want to wrestle with it honestly. And when we see it, we're not quite sure yet. We don't have the resources within us to, to truly engage with it. I think that's because of these culturally conditioned lenses. And culturally conditioned lenses can also work against us. Um, I see it... Um, in terms of hopelessness. There's a culturally conditioned hopelessness in a culture like the Indian culture who have um, within their culture this thing called the caste system. If you were born poor, they have this set up, if you're born poor, you will always be poor. It's very rare within a caste system that you'll ever see um, a Brahmin sweeping the streets in Kolkata because there's the system that has been culturally conditioned within them that keeps people oppressed in some ways. Some, some would argue, oh, this is the perfect political system. What it does is actually keep people in a space that they don't need to be in, that God never actually had for them. I give you these two examples as a way in which we can we re-engage our hearts with, with this series because I think what we will do is we come with this, an element of fascination for the series, but we're not quite sure how to wrestle with it. So I say, open your mind a little bit, don't let those preconceived ideas push you into spaces you don't need to go. All right, so tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Exodus 3. <clears throat> and uh, this is Moses' burning bush experience uh, where the angel of the Lord appears to him. And I've entitled tonight's message Ambassadors and Emissaries because for me this is very much at the heart of what these angelic encounters are about. They're about God sending a message through um, a being, through, as we'll find tonight, a bush. Uh, but there's an audible voice. There's a whole bunch of different elements to it. But tonight is about God's ambassador, God's emissary being sent to Moses. Uh, and I've, I want to begin a little bit by setting the scene because the context, uh, I think, helps make big sense of the details and the experience. It's always a huge part of it. So 
Exodus 3, we've got this experience, but Moses in Exodus 2 is only just being born. Okay, so to put it, put it plainly, Moses is right at the start of his ministry life. None of the amazing things that we know from the story going forward has happened yet. And one of the things that we can do with Scripture is that we can think about the story of Moses and forget about the detail of the fact that he is here at the beginning, right at the beginning. So he's, his birth story is he's a Hebrew who becomes a prince um, in the Egyptian royalty. He's saved from the reeds, from a sister. He grows up under that. Um, and in chapter 2, we read that he um, is out one day and he sees one of his fellow Hebrews being beaten by an Egyptian. He goes down there. He beats that Egyptian to death. Moses, you know, a hero. Yep. Beats him to death, buries him, hides the fact. Comes back to um, two other Hebrews having a fight with each other. Tries to break that up. They say, you're a hypocrite. We saw what you did. And so his heart's, you know, messed up. And so he, he, um, he flees because Pharaoh hears about this and says, I want him dead. I want him dead. And so he's off. And uh, he runs away and he's at, a, he's at a well and he has a drink and he wants a drink. And these, these young girls are coming up to draw water for their flock. And, and other shepherds come and they try to share away. Anyway, he protects these girls. They take him back to the father. Father gifts a daughter to him. Whew. Mate, that's a lot for getting a drink of water, eh? Um, anyway, gets a wife, gets a child, moves to Midian. Okay, Midian's down the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula, right down there. So he's gone from Egypt all the way down there, all right? Um, and we find him in this space, tending a flock on behalf of his father-in-law Jethro, um, out in the middle of nowhere. And so he's, what they do is they, they walk around and they try and find grass with him. So he finds himself in this place. And we encounter this story. He, I think, um, what I really want to sort of emphasize here too is at this stage, I think Moses could be any one of us. And the reason why I say that is he's, he's gone from, yes, an Egyptian prince to a lowly shepherd looking after a flock in the middle of nowhere. Um, we, want to, we want to emphasize the fact that he grew up in this place and that sort of thing. But at this point in time, he is just your average bloke. Okay. And I, I think it's an important thing to think about in terms of the encounter that he's going to have. Um, he's making a general fist of life, and he's drawn into God's story through this miraculous encounter. Um, this story we will explore together is just the beginning of this journey. So I'm going to get the guys at the back to follow me as I read um, this passage to you. So we're going to read just 12 verses from chapter 3 if you're following along in your Bible. All right. Verse 1, now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Interesting fact, that's actually Mount Sinai, where he later gets the Ten Commandments. He goes up that same. Something interesting, which I won't go into in this sermon, but the, the Fenua, the Monga, that, that mountain, that place where he finds himself, fascinating in the context of Moses' life, but we haven't got time to go there tonight. And then verse 2, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. This is a regular sight for him, apparently. And I was reading a few commentators. People set fire to bushes and then started their own fire and kept themselves warm because it gets below zero. 
out in the middle of nowhere in the desert out there. So it would have been regular for him, but then unusual because it wasn't burning up. And so Moses thought, I will go over and see the strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? You'll find as we go through this, there is some unusual mitigating circumstances that grab the attention of those that God is speaking to through these angelic encounters. There's something that just arrests them in that moment and grabs them out of their circumstances for that, for that time. When the Lord saw, verse 4, that he had gone over to look, uh, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. Saying it twice is actually, again, another attention-grabbing thing within that culture. And Moses said, and he must have got it, here I am. Here I am. Others say, here am I. How many other places throughout Scripture do you hear that said? Quite a few, don't you? It's always when God's grabbing hold of them. Verse 5, Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. <laughs> I know in so many cultures that taking off your shoes, going into a marae, going to other temples, that is a sign of reverence and respect. Something had switched at this point for Moses. And then he said, I'm the God, your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's really interesting that in that moment, God speaks to him and reveals himself through his whakapapa. He says, you know Jacob, you know Isaac, you know Abraham. I'm their God. All of a sudden, there's just this moment where he's, where he's arrested in his moment. He says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of the people of Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. It's amazing God's heart for mission. And verse 8, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out to deliver them. Uh, of that land, into the good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a good kind of metaphorical, euphemistic way of talking about a great place, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, all of these others uh, who were enemies to them, to the Israelites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way that the Egyptians are oppressing them. God recognizes us in the midst of our prayers. There's another little lesson we can put in there. So verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You've got to remember, Pharaoh wants him dead. So he's not too keen to run back there and tell him what God said. And God said this. I will be with you and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Mount Sinai, you will worship God on this mountain. It's amazing revelation to him, right? So he's going to take them from Egypt, and he's going to walk them all the way down there. No, he's not. He's going to walk them down that side, and then he's going to cross over. <laughs> it's pretty cool. So <clears throat> I guess one of the key observations that we should make uh, as we head through these different stories of encounters, is that we see each of our characters in relatively mundane circumstances, as I've, as I've shared. 
when God appears. And here's Moses tending a flock, wandering around. He isn't meditating in a temple. He's in the midst of his everyday life, and God meets him where he is. Yes, he's very close to a significant mountain and in a, in, in a land that God is going to be giving to him. Um, but, he's, but he's in this everyday place. And it resonates with my story. You see, I was a chef, and I was working in this little place in Tittering in West Auckland. And just in the middle of, <laughs> well, I still remember it, rolling up pizza dough for the pizzas for that night's service. And we had a big window right in front of me like this, and, you know, you just... We get a bit bored. Um, and so I'm doing this, and a whole bunch of kids went past. And I just felt God speak audibly to me. I want you to work with young people. I want you to give your life to this. And I was just like, man, I have been in church. I have been worshipping my heart out. And you choose to tell me that over some pizza dough. Um, I, I, so I... I, I, they wandered by this restaurant and I felt that, that call. And I remember sort of that story, that understanding of Moses being in that midst of that everyday mundane when God spoke to him. And that's why it resonates with me. See, Moses' encounter with the angel of the Lord, albeit somewhat more spectacular than mine, it resonates well with our own story because we find ourselves in the middle of everyday circumstances. And there's some key components about his encounter that uh, I think, uh, which, we, uh, which won't be his last, that makes sense of angelic visits. And I think the couple of points we're going to talk about tonight will resonate with some of the other stories you're going to hear through, through this series. So I want to talk about a couple of these. The first of these is this word revelation. In verse 6, then God said to him, I am the God your father, the God of Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, you, you remember. The angel of the Lord spoke from the bush and arrested Moses' attention. Isn't it funny how God manifests himself here? We expect some sort of giant winged creature to come down. And, you know, I was talking to Ben, our graphic designer, and he goes, I don't think we should even put feathers in this because, you know, um, so he didn't. <laughs> but feathers don't mean anything. Who, who knows that it's a winged creature? Uh, what if it's wings made out of plastic? Uh, anyway. That is another conversation, but uh, you see how a graphic designer's mind works when you start talking about these sorts of things. What we get is a bush on fire, which is not too attention-grabbing for us, but as I shared, was a big thing for him. You see, the, the most important thing about Moses' revelation is recognition and reverence. There's this moment where he knows that he knows that he knows that this is God. And God grabs his attention with the things that are, that are most applicable to him at that time. Okay? He, he's, he's engaging with this message. Now, I remember the um, first time someone shared a prophecy over me, I was, just, I was really skeptical. Okay? I'm always really skeptical of these things. <sighs> anyway, I, I'm standing there, and this, this prophet just starts saying these things over my life, which I'm like, you cannot know that. You cannot know that. And so there's this moment of just, I almost fell over. Like I was just sitting there going, goodness me, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that I, <laughs> that moment of recognition and reverence that God is actually speaking to you right there and then. This is revelation. This is what Moses was facing. He recognizes God's holiness, 
through God revealing himself through Isaac and Jacob and Abraham. He's like, I'm, I'm from a, a, a priestly family. His, his father-in-law is a priest um, in Midian. He's one of the top priests in Midian. So he recognizes this, this words to him at that point in time. I think, isn't it funny that how instantly once we know something about someone, our attitude and even our posture towards someone um, changes once we get that insight? I've had the privilege of meeting quite a few famous people, some of them incidentally, um, and, you know, I, I met with them and then I realized afterwards that I'd been talking with someone really famous. And I think to myself, what the heck were you talking to them about? So there was this one person who was a top high court judge. And here I was talking about his car because I'm interested in cars. And uh, then I got onto, I think I got onto McDonald's. And I was like... And then afterwards, someone goes, do you know who that person is? I was like, nah, but he sounds like he's got a sweet car and he likes Big Macs, you know? And then I said, that's a high court judge. I was like, what? That's a high court judge? What was I doing, you know? How would I conduct myself differently? Um, I remember sitting next to um, <laughs> uh, the Governor General came to Kerry College, um, Jerry Mataparai, and he and I were having this conversation and I, <laughs> I even talked, I remember talking to him about McDonald's as well. <laughs> Oh, I was like, do you take your kids to McDonald's because <laughs> you're so famous? Um, but then I was, I was talking to him and he's, you know, he's talking about his, um, his PhD he's got. Well, it's a, I was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's not like, um, you know, Peter, uh, what's his name? Peter Sharples, you know, and he's like, yes, my PhD is an honorary PhD. <laughs> I was like, oh, dang, I said something. <laughs> um, my reverence filter is a little bit off when I don't understand who these people are. A thing that's the difference between me and Moses is he knew before he said anything that this was God. That revelation just absolutely arrested his attention and his reverence and his recognition was there straight away. So I want to um, just say that it's the most uh, important thing about revelation is that it transforms the situation. So this first thing that Moses encounters, it transforms the situation for him. And we'll get on to the next thing in a minute. I want you to take a minute. I'm going to do this. Sorry, there's a few of you in the room tonight. I want to take a minute and I want you to ask each other this question. Just in twos or threes, all right? One minute. Turn to the person next to you and you tell them a time you last felt like you had a revelation. All right? We're going to play a little music for just for a minute. I want you to tell the person next to you the last time you felt like you had a revelation. Go. You learned something about someone next to you? Any interesting revelations out there? Just raise your hand. None. Boring lives our night church people lead. No interesting revelations. <laughs> the point of that is for you to try and understand something about what Moses was going through, okay? It's to try and wrestle with, when was the last time even an unspiritual revelation came and I recognized with a sense of reverence what was going on in that situation, okay? Because this is a practical element that we can actually adapt into our lives every day. We think the most mundane things are not God because God only comes in burning bush moments. That's what we think, right? 
The culturally conditioned lenses are telling us that God only speaks certain ways. And I want to encourage you, seek God for revelation. Even if it's just here in the midst of a, a worship time and you're just like, Lord, I don't know what you need to say to me tonight, but say it to me. I want to encourage you to do that. So the second element. Um, Moses finds himself in revelation. The second element that the angel of the Lord brought to Moses was a commissioning. He was commissioned. So he revealed himself to Moses and then he commissioned him on the journey. So now go, I am sending you. Okay. There's this, uh, there's this great phrase that I read this week. It says, recipients of God's call are often jolted by the thought of what God intends for them. Um, it's true. When I was sitting there rolling pastry, thinking about nothing else, God came and spoke to me in that moment. Most of us don't want to inquire of God because we're afraid he's going to send us to the back blocks of Kathmandu and live in a grass hut, right? Most of us, is that true? Yeah, it's true. We're like, yeah, Lord, um, I'll leave that one for someone else. But, you know, God wants to speak into our life daily. He wants us to gain revelation and be commissioned to the things that he's calling us to. But we get a little bit lazy. In fact, we, we actually think, as I said before, that there's these little elements that we actually um, pass off as not being God because they're not glorious enough. And the funny thing about revelation, uh, though, is that it sets our hearts in the right space to receive from God. So you can't be commissioned for something until you've actually engaged your heart and received that revelation from God. If you can't see that it's him, you won't listen to what comes next. So the commissioning is a waste of time without that. Um, Moses, like all of us, still wrestles with his inadequacy. And you'll read in chapter 4, if you go on, you know, he's going backwards and forwards with God. It's like, what's going on, buddy? You know, and you want to you shake him. But most of us have the same sort of experience when we try to engage with God. It's like, oh, I, I, I would need another fleece, Lord. I need to put another fleece out. I go here and do this. Mm, that's going to cost me money. Lord, I need another fleece. You know? Oh, that's going to cost my time, my energy. I need another fleece. Um, being tasked with the deliverance of your people from a tyrant king as a lowly shepherd uh, can seem something quite overwhelming. But what I love about Moses is that we can feel exactly the same. The smallest things can feel like we're trying to save an entire kingdom. Someone who um, I've been reading quite intently uh, their progress is the girl Greta Thunberg, the 16-year-old Swedish girl. What's her name? Yeah, that's right. I thought I got it wrong. Um, and she's only 16, and she just went crazy online. It was awesome. And she just laid the smack down with this long speech about climate change. And the thing that, that fascinates me about it is that she felt commissioned to do what she did. And all of the stuff that I'm reading post her speech is just hate speech towards her for standing up. Um, oh, it's this girl and who she's so entitled, this, that, the next thing. It's got nothing to do with the very issues that she raised. Oh, there's no such thing as climate change. There's a few of those. But she's being trolled by Donald Trump, the king of the trolls. I mean, that is, that's awesome. You know, like you can say a speech that takes you into his Twitter, Twitter space where he gets on your case. I mean, that's fantastic. Something was revealed to her as a young person 
and she felt commissioned to get on board and chase it down. I love it. There's the other guy that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, Joshua Wong, who's 23. He's the Umbrella Army leader who's in Hong Kong doing the protests. And the thing I love about him as well is that, again, he just feels commissioned by his own people to stand against China. I love it. Who's standing against China? Even Donald Trump won't do that. The thing, well, he thinks he is, but, but the thing for me, the thing for me is that he's standing against some one to two million people come out to protest. It's fantastic. But this is the power of being commissioned to something. It's something that you feel drawn to, so passionate about. I, I don't know how many of us have actually been passionate about much recently. Right, how many people in New Zealand? There's people all around the world that are passionate about things. I just don't know too many Kiwis that are so passionate about it. So here's another question for you to ponder with the person next to you for a minute. When was the last time you felt commissioned by God to do anything? Okay? Take one minute now and answer that question with the person next to you. Go. So my theory is if you can't tell it to someone in one minute, it's too waffly. So tell it to someone in one minute. Carry on those discussions after the service over a hot chocolate. But when Moses was commissioned, the thing that I the thing that I love about when he was commissioned is that he didn't have it all sorted. He didn't have all of his financial affairs in order over here. You know, he he didn't say to um, the people around him, oh, "Sorry, I just need to go and sort things out with my family." He was in a space where he had massive doubts of himself and God, but he obeyed. He stepped into it and wrestled. Even after he saw these miracles, he, he still wrestled with these things. That's what I love about the story, is that you and I can actually put ourselves there and wrestle with those things too. So there's a third thing that God did in Moses' angelic encounter, is he made a promise to him, okay? You think, maybe if, maybe if God made the promise first, then the commissioning would be a lot easier. No, no. God, God gave him that, that promise after he'd commissioned him. He said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you, that you have brought the people out of Egypt, and you will worship God on this mountain. He doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know that some however many years from now he'll be on that mountain receiving the law, receiving... He doesn't know that. He's a lowly shepherd walking around the base of that mountain. God meets us where we are, but doesn't leave us there. We always think, I hear this so much. Oh God, you, you know, you need to sort out all these things, or I need to have these qualifications. I have to do these things before God can use me. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. God takes us from anywhere and commissions us if we have revelation. A good friend of mine always reminded me that uh, about my journey, and she'd say, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the call. There's this element of God bringing himself into your life and leading you through it that is important to have our ears attuned to. You see, the beauty of these stories we're going to engage with over the series is that we recognize afresh that God is the God that come to us. You see, God came to Moses. 
He came to us in Jesus, and today he comes to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. You see, God's promise keeps going on and on and on. Moses' story is just the start of it. We can go through, and and you will see this coming through each of these messages, that, that God is a God who comes to us. Moses may have thought being a shepherd in Midian was a pretty lowly place to be, but little did he know that he was going to shepherd and lead God's people for the next 40 years around a desert. He doesn't know it right now, but Moses is the means by which God will work his redemptive strength. He doesn't know that. He's tending a flock by a mountain. God was going to bring him back to this very place he was walking around. So the last question for you to talk for one minute to the people next to you. What promises of God do you struggle most with? Get to the next one. There it is. What promises of God do you struggle most to accept? Okay. What promises that God has given do you struggle to accept? One minute, go for it. Well, we, uh, we all sit on the right side of the story, don't we? We know the outcome. We know where Moses goes. We know about Jesus coming and bringing the blood of the Lamb to life that gets spoken about. We, we understand from Acts the, the work of the Holy Spirit coming and empowering and comforting His people. We know all that, and yet we still struggle. Moses knew none of that. You see, the revelation, that, the commissioning that came to him and the promise actually created some momentum in his life. We didn't have a burning bush moment, but we have the revelation of Scripture. This understanding that God is coming and is doing and is engaged with us. Pastor Craig, um, two weeks ago, a week ago, he talked about uh, that God, for some of us, is a God that was and did, rather than the God of is and does. And I think when it comes to these angelic encounters, these understanding context and so forth, we, we often look at God as a God who did once. And that's why I got you to wrestle with that question about what, what promises do you wrestle with or you struggle to accept? Because we often default to the God that was and did. I invite the, the band to come back and join me. We can read these Old Testament stories as things uh, that God was and did. And, and tonight, I wanted to give us a chance just uh, in closing, and the band comes, um, to just be still. Um, the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit empowers. The Holy Spirit is commissioning, revealing who God is. He's, he's here tonight. Okay? And I just want to give you that moment to have a Holy Spirit encounter. And just to be silent and to allow God to speak. You may be clustered together with people, but I just want you to find a space and just be still with Him. Allow the Spirit to speak tonight. God, you, you may have revealed to people around you tonight that there's, a, there's some sort of revelation that's happened for you recently.
Maybe you felt that sense of commissioning by God to be or do something. Okay? His promises are sure. His Holy Spirit is here and leading us. And I want to encourage you tonight to be bold and to pray that prayer. Lord, here I am. Lord, here I am. Whether he sends you to Egypt or wherever it is, Lord, here I am. I believe that you promise what you promise, that you're a good God who continues to reveal himself and commission his people. Here I am, Lord. Won't you stand? Lord, we're just so thankful for your presence by your Spirit. And Lord, that the story of Scripture, as it unfolds, shows us your gracious love and your continual coming to us. Lord, tonight we come to you. We open our hearts and we ask, Spirit, that you would speak. Lord, some of us here are fearful. Lord, others are excited. Lord, we come just in this moment and still ourselves and ask that you would speak. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and for your continuing guidance in our lives.